Hello, and welcome to Fact Schmacks. It's the podcast good enough to get you a C. Minus. My name's Matt, and I've got a story to tell you. And my name's Kev. I have a story to interrupt. <laughs> hey, Kevin. Oh, what? Kevin, I hear, I hear white rabbits peeking for you. Yeah. So I You're just at the right spot in your gummy. Uh, yeah, because I thought maybe we would record, you know, around eight. So I ate a gummy. Thinking, Absolutely. Oh, kick in. Now it's kicked in for the beginning instead of the middle. Uh-huh. So, and I had a lot to do at the beginning. So you're just going you to all bear with me now. Yeah, I'm just laying it all out there for everybody to see. Our yes. dirty laundry. Kevin has put himself in an awful position, but he wants to lead off this podcast. Let us see how he does. Um. That, I'm gonna give that rating or that uh, intro a rating of like <laughs> three. I mean, it was good that it set the stage. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. It just came in so hot. Yeah. Well, so. I prefer to think that your scale's out of three. So I'm gonna take that as a <laughs> terrific score. Uh, I guess I should have been a little more specific in the beginning. Absolutely, you should have. All right. Now, what have you got for me, Kevin? So I've got a couple things. I've got what? this. I've got this game of facts, schmacks, and depending on the outcome, I might have something else in store here. What? Yeah. Listen, I... What uh, happens if we don't get to that something else? Well, you know what? We're going to get to that something else because I've I've found okay. lately that our facts, schmacks games have been very one-sided and that you've <laughs> figured out something that's, that's allowed I've you to... I've cracked the code. Yeah. You've, yeah. You've figured me out. And that's fine. That's all well. <laughs> I've, I've cracked the chode. <laughs> so here's what I suggest. Yes. I want to challenge you uh-huh. to a trivia game. A facts, oh, I... schmacks, trivia game. Okay. Kev's facts, schmacks, trivia. It's kind of like uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You'll okay. have a couple... You'll have like this like uh, 60, multiple choice 60 40 rule where you'll be able to get rid of 50% of the question or answer. Okay. Uh, you know, you can, you can use like a, you can use a Google, look it up on Google. There's going to be <laughs> one option where you have to look it up on Pornhub. I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have a couple different things and it'll be like, it'll be like, uh, you know, kind of like uh, who wants to be a millionaire. Where there's going to be a question, a trivia question, and there's going to be four options. So A and B will be, you know, standard trivia answers. C will be dedicated to schmacked because it's a C. And D, he's the wild card. Could just be another trivia option. Could just be something out there. Something a little wild. Because <laughs> okay. the D gets wild on this show. What do you think? Okay. Huh? Well, as long as we're putting our cards out there, I've helped somebody move today, so I've already had a pop or two. Okay. So, <laughs> so I could Whatever. Say, yeah? All right. Yeah. So we're going to have... What do you got? Well, right now we're just doing a normal fact schmacks game. This is going to be a bonus episode where you're going to be in the hot seat, and I'll even have a prize for you. Oh, okay. I got you. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Love everything about it. All right. Okay. So look forward to that. 
probably yep. going straight to the Patreon <laughs> to die in ignominy. <laughs> All right. So without much further ado, we have the Fact Schmacks game that we all know and love, Two Truths and a Lie, which... Uh, Absolutely. You know, we're, uh, we're going to talk about some, uh, some side hustles, maybe some hobbies of some famous people. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I think I just suddenly came around to the idea that the whole preamble to this was you just pitching something to me that we were going to do later and had nothing to do with what we're about to do. That's where we start this episode. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Famous people side hustles. I'm with you. <clears throat> so this is our this is our fact schmacks today. The other yeah. thing is a game we're going to do, like a little bonus game, a little bonus show. Okay. I thought about it Are five minutes before the episode. Are we doing that at all today? No. That's like in the future. That's like a future pitch. It's like a it's supposed to be a teaser trailer. It's like a little, a little live workshopping. You got to come back to us, buddy. Sorry. Okay. All right. I'm with you. I had no idea that's what you were doing. All right. Look forward to that. <laughs> Famous people side hustles. How do we top that? <laughs> Factor Schmack, Matt. Johnny yes? Depp loves Barbie dolls. What? Depp, How's that for Depp has a collection of Barbie dolls, some of which were characters he played in movies. Okay. But otherwise has a rather expansive collection of Barbie dolls. Interesting. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Okay. So I had a couple things like, <laughs> God damn it. Listen, guys, I, I want to make a little PSA here. Drugs are fun and they're great. <laughs> but don't eat edibles before trying to do a podcast. Okay. Because you'll stay- glaze over everything that's important. I had a couple Johnny mentions. Depp has. Yeah. So, you know, like Maynard Keenan, he owns like Caduceus Winery in Arizona. Sure. Uh, Seth Rogen, he's making weed and weed accessories in a business called Houseplant. Yeah. Right. Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul from Baking, Breaking Bad. They're doing vodka as Dos Hombres. That's, that is right. Yep. Right. So this is where these come from. So Mike Tyson and Pigeons factor schmacked. Besides pummeling people in the boxing ring, Mike Tyson is skilled and practiced pigeon racer. He often attends. Um, okay. <laughs> they're like, uh, what are those things? Like a pageant in Ontario, California every year that shows off these breeds of birds. I see what you're doing here. <laughs> what? You're filling in details for every one of them. I get you. Am I? I don't know. I, I see what you're doing. Okay. okay. And then, all right, what else we got? Jeff Bridges. Who yes. Was otherwise commonly known as the dude. Happens yeah. To, yeah. Happens to share a characteristic with that famous character of his. 
And that uh, Jeff Bridges is a very avid bowler, having gone so far as to install five bowling lanes in his home in Montecito, California, uh, to play while not actively engaged in various leagues around the area. Hmm. So there you go. Uh, much stumbling around. <laughs> we have reached the end of the actual Fact Max game that we were playing on this episode. You're now forced to make a decision. I love you, buddy. <laughs> Somebody has to. <laughs> Remind me about that first one again. You mean the game that we're going to play eventually? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know, I know. The first one is Don't blame Johnny, me for not being able to keep track. <laughs> Johnny Depp. It's You couldn't keep track. Johnny Depp uh, enjoys playing with Barbie dolls and has a large collection. Okay. Of Barbie dolls. And what's what's more to that story? <clears throat> that he collects them. Uh, he collects them of, like, friends or of dolls that were made after him. And he uses them to, like, get in character and stuff. I guess I've, I've got a boy, so I don't know if there's licensed Disney um, characters that, or licensed characters, sorry, licensed characters that he's been barbified. To Arcanified, I guess. I don't know what you would call that. Hmm. You've hit me with a real puzzler there, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Now, if this was our know. game, you could phone a friend. <clears throat> Unfortunately, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not. No. I'm going to go with the Johnny Depp one. There are no friends here. And yeah. I win. <laughs> I win! Yeah! Yeah! What was it? Johnny Depp has a collection of Barbies. No kidding. Well, yeah. obviously, if that was, yeah, yeah okay. I mean, yeah. where did I go wrong? Uh, Jeff Bridges, as far as I know, he doesn't have bowling alleys in his house. He uh, does live in Montecito. I wanted that. He does to be take true. a lot of pictures and he plays guitar. He's allegedly yeah. a bit of a shutterbug. But uh, cool. as far as the bowling, uh, I just made that up. You just made that up. Oh. Yes. Excellent. That's great. Bah, 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 bah. That's great. Yeah, that is terrific. I'm just I've got just such a small amount of beer left here. I'm just going to crack another beer here. I'm just going to apologize. I have been uh, sick this week with a debilitating uh, pneumonia. Yeah, we were worried about you. Yeah, uh, I'm 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 on a lot of drugs that help me not hate this pneumonia and not die from it. Thanks for free health care there. And uh, hopefully going to be okay hanging up the darts and the smokes. Chapter one. The creation. Chapter one. Hey, wait a minute. There's another book yeah. that has a chapter one that's about creation. What are we getting yeah. into here? This is our third uh, episode of our trilogy. That's true. Okay. This is of our tr- of our Trinity. Ooh, very biblical. Oh, very, hey, listen, uh, I, I I just want to add one thing. I have been saying that generally the third episode is the worst, and so far I have completely <laughs> manifest destiny in the start of this episode to just be just the worst. I'd like to point that out as we very good, begin. very very good. Okay. <clears throat> Alexei Pajitnov was born on March 14th, 1956 in Moscow. 
His mom was a movie journalist, which was unique among, you know, people living in the USSR. Uh, his father was a dissident, which was also unique among people living in the USSR. His mom and dad divorced when he was 11. Uh, then he lived with his mom. And she brought him to, like, the Moscow Film Festival, where he got to experience Western culture, and he fell in love with movies, including James Bond, funny enough, you know. Be weird, you don't think about to be a kid and, and love a movie where you're... Your whole nation are the bad people, but <clears throat> I'm sure when they dub it though, like he works for the KGB. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I don't know what he saw technically. Uh, <clears throat> when he was 17, Pajitnov got into computers um, because the USSR was actively trying to recruit, you know, young smart kids to get into computer-like fields. Um, you know, as part of that old Cold War to get people into sort of intelligence positions. So he was exposed to computers and it really left a mark on him. Um, after getting his master's in applied mathematics, he joined the Russian Academy of Sciences in Moscow, where he got to work on one of them old gym-sized computers, uh, working on like speech recognition and artificial intelligence. Fun stuff. Uh, but eventually... Him and uh, a few uh, other employees that he worked with got an upgrade. Desktop computers. And this is in like 1984. And they were ancient by the standards of the time. But they were pretty, you know, new for them anyways. Um, they could only d display alphanumeric characters in like green. <clears throat> but they were a big improvement over what they'd, they'd had before. Now, Pajitnov and two of his colleagues actually started working with games they they were all very interested in them um one of his uh co-workers had been working on reverse engineering pac-man on these like you know alphanumeric computers which was kind of uh, a, a little bit of an engineering feat uh and he had thought wouldn't it be cool if if they could design their own game and wouldn't it be even be cooler if a bunch of people could play it you know, around the world, leave their mark. Okay. And so, yeah. So Pajitnov starts trying to <clears throat> come up with an idea for his own game. And he thinks back to his childhood. And he loved playing with these simple wooden puzzles, simple wooden puzzle, toy puzzles called pentominoes, where you would fit wooden shapes into a, a rectangular, you know, kind of puzzle outline. And if you lined up the shapes just right, you could kind of fit them all in and it would just complete. It was like like a puzzle, but just with basic was it geometric like shapes. Tetris? You know, it was sort of... I, I guess he wouldn't have had that sort of frame of reference to say um, whether it was, you know, Tetris or not. <laughs> <laughs> because he made Tetris? <laughs> <laughs> is that where this story's going? Well, Tetris hadn't been invented yet. That's all yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> I hope I just stole your thunder. Well, the people who are listening to this are already going to know what it's about. <laughs> That's so he designed basically... Yes, this is about Tetris. Uh, so he designed basically um, that. He, he called it genetic engineering. 
you take these pieces from the outside. It was a very, uh, you, you know, you kind of range them. It's a very neat program, especially to do it on what's basically an ASCII computer. Um, but it was boring, right? Once you once you solve it once, there's no there's no fun in it to do it a second so time. So he made Tetris Marathon. So what he did is he <laughs> kind of turned the rectangle on its side, and he had the pieces start to drop from the top. And so you can't just pick your pieces now. Maybe you just have to kind of figure out how to piece them together and survive as long as you can, which was kind of cool, but. You know, if you if you finish a line, the pieces stay there. If you don't finish a line, uh, pieces stay there. So you're just going to lose in a you know pretty quick amount of time. So the third ulti- uh, alteration he made to his design was so the pieces if you dropped. complete a if you complete a line, it disappears. Right. And all of a sudden, Tetris as we know it was born. So simple. So elegant, so addicting. Super came up addicting. with the name super addicting. He came up with the name Tetris by combining tetra, tetra from four and uh, ri, uh, is from tennis, which was his favorite sport. It was just like four tennis. I don't know what the tennis has to do with any of it. It's so weird what people name things sometimes. It is kind of weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smack. Section B, lab containment breach. While getting this game to run, spe- you know, on this specific computer that they were using in Soviet Russia, um, on like again, ASCII graphics was an achievement. Uh, nobody was going to be playing it if that's the only thing you could play it on. They needed to get it on different computers. Uh, in order to expand the potential audience, he approached a, uh, a co-worker, well, one of the, was one of the three guys that he was working with, 16-year-old programming wunderkind Vadim Gerasimov, and he asked him to port it to IBM-compatible computers. This was a big challenge, as Gerasimov had never actually used an IBM computer before, but in a few days he got it done. He even added color to the to the pieces, which was a big deal at the time in Soviet Russia, uh, and a high score feature, uh, which made it way more addicting because you could keep track of how well or how poorly you had done. Tetris was better than ever. What was worse than ever, though, was the prospect of starting a business in the USSR in 1984. Uh that was basically unheard of, and they pretty quickly gave up the idea of getting their software published or like somehow making a business doing that. Uh, and instead, they uh, they just put all the games that they had made, including Tetris, onto a disc, and they labeled it Computer Fun Fair. Made a bunch of copies and kind of gave them to anybody who wanted them. Uh, one such person, <laughs> funny enough, was was a psychologist studying addiction. He got this IBM compatible uh, version. He's, you know, this is all happening inside Soviet Russia. And he liked the game and he made a couple copies, gave it to his coworkers. And then he found out, you know, pretty quickly that everybody was playing Tetris uh, <laughs> nonstop. So he tried to have all of the copies of the game destroyed. Uh, 
he was unable to do that, and very quickly Tetris was just back at at the workstation, so he decided to use it to study addiction instead. They actually brought in uh, Pajitov and got him to design like a two-player version to do this addiction study with. Um, but, uh, you know, in sort of, it's an illustration of the sort of ways that the game made it through the computer science community and the USSR going from, right. you know, lab to lab and school to school. Pajitnov hadn't made any money on it, but, you know, he was pretty happy that the game was sort of this underground success. Everybody who played it loved it, man. This thing fucking bangs. Yeah. Tetris Fox te- for sure. Absolutely, it's Tetris. So, um, like I've mentioned it before, but like a lot, a lot of things in this house are settled with Tetris and Nintendo Switches. Like dishes, dog poop, dinner. Who's gonna run to the store? It's like, well, I'll play a game of Tetris for it, and that's completely fair. Whoever wins, best two to three, making dinner tonight. Deal. There you go. And then it'll become like you know, best. Best three out of five. It, it escalates pretty quick. Yeah, because it's Tetris and Tetris is it's addictive. So great. It's completely it's, addictive. It's a great game. Right. It's a great. It game. is a great game. Actually, Pit- I want to. I want to just say, going forward, <clears throat> I'm gonna kind of gloss over the success that Tetris is, only because like it's just self evident, right? Like yeah. once everybody's exposed to Tetris, it's an immediate success. Everybody understands it. Everybody it's likes so it. It's so simple. Yeah. yeah. It's ubiquitous. Everybody who's listening to this understands Tetris and understands what a just simple, great game it is. Sure. Um, And and if you haven't played it in a long time, go play it and you'll be like, God damn, that is a great game. Go play Tetris Effect. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So good. Um, Pajitnov's boss was actually one of the people who really loved the game and he eventually gave it to the SCKI Institute of Computer Science in Budapest, Hungary. They loved it. Uh, this turned out to be a fateful bit of sharing between two, uh, you know, kind of institutes in the USSR. Part three, jacked from the USSR. So is this part three of chapter one or are we on like chapter three? <laughs> what is your what's your what's your angle here? <laughs> what's your what's your thing, space man? I think it's all How good. Man. this. I think you're just misremembering stuff. It's all been part. It's been part one, part two, part three. But is it like part one of chapter one? No, it's it's always, I said part one, I said part two, I said part three. Okay. So it's like chapter yeah. three then. Yeah, it's part three. J- and jacked from the USSR. All right. On with it then. Robert Stein was the, oh, this is a new guy. Sorry. There's going to be a lot of new people in this. Okay. Was the just, owner of Andromeda Software. <laughs> which was a British-based software company that specialized in being kind of the middle person between creators and and large publishers. Uh, He frequently would visit his native Hungary to find new software to sell back west. That was a big part of his kind of business model. You see, Hungary was a bit special. They were part of the USSR. They were, you know, in there, but they were also kind of open economically since uh, the 50s. There had been a revolution there, so they were kind of like a special economic zone. I have a special so, hunger. <laughs> Sorry. I bet you do right now. Uh, <laughs> oh 
but if if something was going to come out of the USSR, it was probably going to do it via Hungary. Um, it is kind of funny that even in these closed societies, like you find that in Japan, early Japan, when they were all closed off, they still traded from the Dutch in this one special port. Even in these like really closed off societies, they'll gen- generally have like, well, they've got this one space where it's kind of more, yeah, there's more more trade going on, right? So like a bit of a neutral zone, a bit of a experimental, uh, you know, sort of a more relaxed market, and yeah. market, yeah, more market based. Hey, everyone needs to make money, right? Sure. So um, Robert Stein was on a trip to the SEKI. Um, to scout for interesting software when he saw someone playing Tetris. And he said, oh, what's, you know, kind of this like basic looking game, but he's looking at it going, oh, what's this? And the guy says, oh, this is, this is Tetris. And he says, oh, let me, let me give it a shot there. And he tries it himself and, oh, wouldn't you good and goddamn know it. He fucking loved it. Like everybody who has ever even set eyes on and played Tetris as stated before. So he's he's like, yeah, this is this is going to be a hit, man. So he goes to the head of the SEKI and he says, let's make a deal. I want I want the rights to this. The that guy says, we don't actually own it. That came from a different place, uh, you know, kind of more more in the the motherland, so to speak. Um, But he did give him the contact info for the Russian Academy of Sciences, you know, where Pajitnov worked and, and who had made it. So Stein sent them a telex, which, um, do you know what a telex is? It's like a pre-fax or like kind of an old school fax thing? Yeah, it's like a fax, like, it's like a fax machine with a keyboard. Yeah. Kind of imagine that. So he sent them a telex and he offered to buy the rights to Tetris. Pajitnov, on the other end, he'd given up on his idea of getting a, you know, this his piece of software published in any sort of meaningful way. He gets this telex and he's like, oh, man, this is great. But, you know, the concept of like intellectual property didn't really exist in the USSR. So he kind of like he started, he, he did what he could to push from his end the idea of like licensing this thing that he had made for other people to use elsewhere. But you know, not nobody kind of knew what to do with this on the Russian end. This is kind of a funny part of this story. Um, he did eventually get uh, approval from his direct supervisors to send a message back saying, yes, we are interested. We would like to have this deal. Now, what he thought... Um, or sorry, what Stein, when he got this message back... He's like, great, I've got a tentative agreement now uh, to to license this, to get the rights for this game. So he immediately went to Mirrorsoft, which was a large European publisher at the time and part of the Maxwell Group, which owned newspapers and magazines and even a soccer team. They were big in Europe. Did they big, also big own those old cassettes, like the Maxwell tapes? That's Max L. No, I'm pretty sure it was Maxwell. It was Max L. You know what that is? You know what I wonder if that is kind of like an example of the uh, n- the Mandela effect. You ever heard of the Mandela effect? 
Yeah, people when when people misremember things and think, no, there's no way I can be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I always thought it was Maxwell, <laughs> not Max L. Oh, it's Max L. Okay, well, whatever. Potato, potato. Yep. Uh huh. They also had another U.S. Um, based publisher that that they owned uh, named Spectrum Holobyte. So they made like the Maxwell Group essentially made a, an agreement with Stein. Uh, the PC and console rights for the UK and Europe were sold to Mirasoft for three thousand pounds up front plus royalties. And the US and Japanese rights went for eleven thousand US uh, plus royalties. You know, pending ink, ink as long as Robert Stein can actually get a deal done with the Russians. I I wanted to include the figures here just for like how low the original rights for this game were sold for. Uh, but Stein was technically selling the rights to something that he did not quite own yet, right? So he sends another telex and he makes an offer of 10,000 bucks up front plus 75% of whatever he makes down the line. Pachetnam sends back another vague but, you know, kind of positive uh, response. S- still nothing firm. Stein keeps pushing to make a deal and eventually... Academy Soft, which is kind of like the publishing wing of the Russian Academy of Sciences, took over the negotiations. Uh, they said that the only rights that they're willing to part with are the IBM PC rights. Stein's kind of okay with that, even though, you know, he's technically sold the console rights already. But he's like, you know, whatever, I've, I'm sure I can get them down the line. I'm just going to agree to this. But that still didn't make the, these negotiations go down any quicker by 1987 uh mirasoft and spectrum are are ready to release their games in their respective markets on the pc feeling like he has no choice stein finalizes agreements with them again assuring them that he's going to be able to get the license for this everything is going to be okay hold up this sounds shady as fuck so it sounds a bit yeah yeah you go. No, please, please. I've gone plenty. Okay. So he goes over there and he's he's kind of like uh scouting for software to bring back, you know, a little little talent hunting. And he finds this yeah. game and he likes this game and he goes and he basically sells a game he doesn't own. Yeah. For an amount of money that makes probably even giving seventy five percent to these other guys him just a a whack load of money just for being a middleman. Yeah, that's almost just like a, a serendipitous, uh, but like very greasy, taking advantage of that kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so here we are. He's he's basically sold something he doesn't own while buying something he doesn't quite hasn't sold yet to give. You know, to actually have the money and the this yeah. and that and. And he, I mean, he's having trouble Jeez. navigating the the socialist system. To be fair, like he's spending like a year of his time trying to negotiate these rights, and he's pretty sure he's got like a verbal agreement, and the parties are interested. Oh, he just man. he can't get anything in ink. So I kind of like, I don't think this, he's. I have sympathy for his position. If I haven't, you know, properly explained that, but he is, you know, he's he's trying to make it happen. Uh. But he also is trying to do something that's relatively unheard of at the time, which is, you know, negotiate an IP for a video game out of Soviet Russia. Yeah, I mean, that's got to that's gotta be pretty tough. Yeah. And the whole concept of individual, 
like intelligent uh, what's ip it's like uh right intellectual property I mean, they were able to just put the stuff out on a disc i'm sure because they had made it on company time so it belonged to the people of russia you just put it out that's you of course you yeah, that's, what do that, right? that's what i'm saying right like the concept it's a game yeah it's just a game yeah because capitalism if it's just a game and it's entertaining just have it that's kind of what i like about that kind of <laughs> mindset like yeah you know just it's have fun well, and that was, you know, Pajitnov, certainly that was his angle. He just wanted to get it out there. Sure. Uh, episode D, Enter oh Elorg. What the fuck is with these chapters? Huh? We're in chapters, sections, episodes. No, it's been episode A, a episode no, A, episode no, B, episode C, nope, episode D nope, the whole time. Nope. Yeah, absolutely nope, has. Uh, nope. Enter Elorg. You will not, you will not uh, gaslight me, sir. Elorg was the Soviet department responsible for importing and exporting technology. Uh, initially, they were just doing that for other communist nations, but more recently, they were kind of free to look for licensing deals anywhere and everywhere because, you know, in the, by the time the, the late 80s were, mid to late 80s were rolling around, the Soviet Union was not doing uh, so great money-wise. Um, they had been doing sort of routine interviews inside the uh, inside their various ministries, talking to people, trying to find various technologies that they could maybe license that they had, you know, that were in their inside their purview. And they're talking to Pajitnov about his, he was working on like speech to text recognition or something like that. Talk about his, all of his on the book stuff. And he just casually mentioned that he's having trouble getting a licensing deal done for this little game that he'd made. And they're like, beg your pardon? If anybody's making a licensing deal for anything like this, something that was made on co uh, company time, that should be us. We're the, the the party that's responsible for that. So they were actually kind of mad about that. Now, I want to take a little, really little um, debate here. You can be all sorts of things politically, right? Yeah, you can I've been saying uh, a lot. Sure, you can be a capitalist, you can be a, a, a communist, uh, you could be a socialist, whatever. But but at the root of it, it doesn't matter what type of government that you are uh, in favor of, there's a more fundamental concern, and that is of centralism versus federalism. Now... What that means is, is someone who is a centralist believes that the central government of a state should be very, very strong and control all aspects of life uh, for everybody in that state, regardless of how far away they are from, you know, from the capital versus a federalist who believes that every federation inside the state should have maximum power. Um, that's just a very fundamental debate in politics. And uh, if you're already familiar with that, I'm sorry the, for my very basic explanation of that. But all of that's to say I'm somebody who is a very strong centralist. But this whole like this whole idea of trying to get even the people inside the Soviet Union didn't know who was should even be responsible for license for trying to figure out who owned the rights to this game and to negotiate them with the outside world. 
is kind of bananas. But yeah. it turns out it's Elorg, you know, the people who should have been doing it. So they tell X Stein and tell him that he's selling the rights to something that he doesn't have. Uh, and they less than kind of cordially invite him to come to Moscow and explain himself. Uh, to his great credit, he did do that. Uh, he said when he showed up, it felt like he was being interrogated. Him, uh, Sorry, uh, being interrogated. They accused him of trying to circumvent them. Uh, he said he just found out that they existed, like he had been trying to go through uh, as official channels. Right? Yeah. He's getting railroaded by this insane bureaucracy. Uh, but he it told is an them insane that, bureaucracy in, in Russia, especially at that time. Absolutely. The bureaucracy is just layers and layers of just who, who knows. Everybody watching yeah. everybody and overseeing every other thing. And, and the expanding, uh, the bureaucracy is expanding to meet the needs of the expanding bureaucracy. Yeah. 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 That sort of thing. Uh, so, but Stein tells them, hey, listen, these games are already coming out. Like, probably too late to stop the gears on on these games being at least released on shelves at this point. And the way that they had been marketed, you see, the thing about Tetris is it's hard to market even in 1986, I think, or 80, sorry, 88, uh, 89, when they're releasing these games. It's hard to market this game because it's not flashy. There's no story. There's no hero. Right. So what they did go with was this idea that it was this, like, Russian game that was crossing the Iron Curtain, this like, you know, kind of forbidden thing from the East. Um, so it had already been heavily marketed as this big Russian almost coming out party in a sort of video game form. And Stein basically told him, like, if you guys back out of this at this point, it's going to be hugely embarrassing for the Russian people on the world stage. So... Eventually, after many rounds of argument, uh, they agree that, uh, the, you know, in, in May of 1988, they had a deal that gave Stein the right to publish games on different types of computers, which is a fairly ambiguous phrase. Sure. As far as Stein was concerned, that gave him the rights to everything except arcade and handheld devices. As far as Elorg was concerned, or Elorg, uh, that just meant computers. Subsection okay. five, bulletproof. See, now I just got on to your bullshit. Carry <laughs> so, on. Hank Marianne. Rogers. Uh, Hank Rogers was the owner of a Japanese development company. Oh, wait, company. wait, wait, wait. Listen, uh, you yep. always do this thing to me in yeah. every episode. Today you brought a beer. He always does this yep. thing where he goes... Uh, we're in the middle of an episode. I have to go get a beer. Talk awkwardly to people. Uh, so he didn't do it, it this me? time. I'm doing it to you. I'll be right back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love I'll it. I'll be right back. I love it. Yeah. Just, just hang out. I'll be right back. You know what? I wanted to take this time to talk about what a terrific dude I think Kevin is in general. And I mean this uh, in all sincerity. Uh, you know, I just went through a bit of a loss in my family and, uh, Kevin's been a really, really great guy for me. Want to shout out our, uh, our audio engineer, uh, Adam, 
who has gone through a tremendous loss, who's going through a hell of a time, and, you know, we're thinking about him right now. It's been a hard year on the old Max crew. Hug the ones that you love. But I just do want to say that for all our differences, for all our differences, I do love that deeply stupid man. Oh, and I just saw a shadow. That was so perfect. All righty. What are you going on about over here? It was, you're going to listen back, and I tell you what, I'm going to put a smile on your face. Oh, you say uh-huh. nice. No, you didn't say anything. No, of course I didn't say anything. I really, I'm sorry. I just, I really had to, uh, you know, train the dog. <laughs> All right. (laughs) So, uh, like I said, Hank Rogers, owner of a Japanese development company named Bulletproof Software. He was born in the Hank Rogers, a cowboy? No, Hank. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Dude, Hank Rogers was the cowboy, was he not? No, this is Hank. H-E-N-K. Hank. No, 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 no. You said it, like, with an A. Well, I'm trying, like, it's hard to not. It's Hank Rogers. Uh, Hank. Yeah. He was born in the Netherlands. He grew up in the States, but he followed his wife back to Japan. Uh, He married a Japanese woman, met her in Hawaii. He had developed a a hit computer game in Japan called Black Onyx. He eventually became a Famicom licensee. And in 1998, he'd been getting more and more into publishing. In that year... He was introduced to Tetris, uh, which was being shown off by Mirasoft in the UK. Pardon me. Uh, Rogers eventually learned that through a series of licensing agreements, it was actually Atari Games, the the former coin-op division. Wait a minute. That, that would go on to found Tengen and fight with Nintendo over uh, over their business practices that actually owned the the Japanese rights at this point to to release console games, at least as far as anybody was concerned. Okay. So so Rogers ambushes Atari Games president Nakajima, the Atari Games U.S. president Nakajima, uh, while he's leaving work, and uh, made an aggressive pitch to him in a parking lot as to why he should be the person to bring Tetris to Japan, anyways. Could you relate to that, having made many aggressive pitches to men in parking lots? <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> well, they agreed to a sushi dinner, and during that meeting, uh, Rogers, he, you know, Hank Rogers must be quite charming because uh, Nak- Nakajima, he agreed to sell Rogers the Japanese rights to make the console version, but he couldn't get the arcade rights because uh, he'd already sold them uh, to Sega. Now, worth Sega. mentioning that nobody actually owned the rights to the arcade version, but uh, How can Atari we talk thought about Sega in this whole thing till now. Uh, because they're not really a player until the 16 bits. Um, okay, so that's going to be like the sequel to the. Trilogy? Yeah, yeah, that's a it's that, that's a cool wars? story too. Yeah, okay. There's yeah, there's definitely at least a trilogy of that at okay. some point. 
Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, yes. So he Rogers and uh, Hank Rogers and Bulletproof, you know, they re- they ended up releasing the game in J- Japan for the Famicom. They got the rights from Atari and they released the game. And initially, sales eh, they didn't really, they did not really blow anybody's hair back. Uh, only about forty thousand copies were ordered by retailers. So Rogers approaches Nintendo of Japan president Hiroshi Yamuchi, uh, who he had kind of a working relationship with. And he asked him for help pushing the game, you know, from from old Papa Nintendo. Now, Yamauchi was interested, but he didn't really know much about the game. So he passed it off to one of his programmers, who we've mentioned before, Shigeru Miyamoto. Now, just a quick word, because I don't think I actually wound up getting into this about Shigeru Miyamoto. Um, we mentioned him last episode, but I don't think I actually mentioned, like, what his accomplishments are in general. He d- he designed Donkey Kong, uh, but he did also, you know, go on to design um, Super Mario Brothers and The Legend of Zelda. Oh. Which are two pretty big games. Really? You know, and and a lot of their sequels until he just kind of became like the head honcho in terms of... That's funny. Just, I've never just, heard of them overseeing everything uh that nintendo like all of their games i think he's like in charge of figuring out who's in charge of developing what games he's like an executive producer i guess okay so he just kind of he kind of points the ship yeah he like he's he's high up there uh, and he's responsible for most of the franchises that you know and love in terms of nintendo unless it's uh metroid Okay. He basically had his hand in everything else. So here's the thing that I don't think we mentioned during um, our episode on Nintendo is that uh, sweet Jesus, Nintendo games are expensive. 80 bucks for like a 10 year old game. Yeah. They They have this theory that their software is just always, it's always good. Like, doesn't get less good just because it's old. Yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with it. One th- another thing I didn't mention, as long as we're talking about things we didn't mention in this like episode that's going to be an hour and a half long, I guarantee. Uh, oh, yeah, we're only like halfway through, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, God uh, damn it. <laughs> so one thing we enough. didn't mention about the, the kind of policies that Nintendo... Uh, brought forth in the last episode that I kind of meant to mention is that they worked like the stuff that Nintendo did in terms of limiting the amount of software that you know each company could put out uh, the Nintendo seal of quality as laughable as it was and as as unnecessary as it was a couple of years later in the immediate aftermath of that uh, of that video game crash that shit worked and was probably the reason that there was a video game industry in North America after that yeah crash. because you just had in terms of consistently good reliable playable games or at least the retailers knew that they were going to sell which was the right was the bigger I think the bigger issue but anyway sorry um Yamuchi had given Miyamoto this piece of software and said well let me know if this is any good so a couple days later Yamuchi comes back to Miyamoto and he says hey 
thing I gave you was any good? Miyamoto says, yep. Yamuchi says, why? Miyamoto says, because your accountants and secretaries are playing it. Yamuchi's like, oh, I get it. So Nintendo throws their weight behind Tetris uh, in Japan, and orders went from 40,000 to 200,000 pretty much overnight. Tetris fever hits Japan. Right around that time, Nintendo had been looking to launch their Game Boy. As per usual, Nintendo of America was kind of... What year is this? Uh, 1988, 89. Okay. So I thought at one point we jumped up to like 98, you said? No. Everything's been like 88, 80. Yeah. Uh, I might have said 98. If I did, I meant 88. Sorry. Okay. Because like, I mean... We'll have we'll always yes. know on the playback. Yeah, but I thought I at know. some it's point not, you said ninety eight, and I remember sitting there going like, mm, "Wait a minute!" I'm sorry if if I said ninety eight. I'm sorry. That's I'm okay. Very sorry. All right. Led you astray because yeah. the the Nintendo came out. I was I was a young lad. I remember yeah getting one oh, yeah. a year or two after it came out. And I was still yeah. Quite Nintendo young. came out in eighty five in the U S. Okay. Yeah. Um. So right around that time, Nintendo's been looking to launch their little Game Boy handheld. Uh, and as per usual in in America, anyways, or the 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 American territories, they would launch them with a pack in game. So Hank Rogers and Bulletproof, he approaches Arakawa and says, "Hey, Arakawa, who was the president of Nintendo in the U.S." Sorry, I was thinking of Hank Williams. Hank Williams, right? <laughs> yep. There you go. Uh, so sorry, Hank Rogers approaches Arakawa, who's president of Nintendo of America. And says, if you pack pack in Mario, it'll be for boys. But if you pack in Tetris, it's going to be for everyone. Rogers tells the Game Boy was originally released in 89, not 85. There you go. Yeah, I said this is 88, 89. Yeah. 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 Um, So uh, Rogers tells Arakawa he knows he can get the handheld rights. That they're up for grabs. Nobody has them. But he knows, you know, at this point he's been kind of negotiating this Tetris minefield and he knows where to get them. It's this guy, Robert Stein, who signed this original deal with the Russians that every sub-licensing deal at this point, all this stuff hinges on is this one original deal from Robert Stein, which said that he could develop uh, Tetris for various computers. Um so Arakawa, you know, from Ten of America, agrees. He's like, yep, if you can go get the rights to that, that absolutely. That's going to be our pack-in game. Uh, go right ahead. So Rogers, you know, he contacts Robert Stein, but he's having a difficult time getting a firm answer from him about this handheld rights. Uh, you know, he's kind of being a little evasive. Uh, and that's because Robert Stein did not have them. Right. Module F, the new deal. You're such a piece of shit. Why are you doing this? <laughs> chapter chapter nine or something. In 1988, <laughs> Elorg had put a new guy in charge, Nikolai Belikov. In his first order of business was to figure out why the USSR had not yet been paid for Tetris. See, at the time, the deal that they had signed said that they were going to get start getting royalty payments in three months, and it was three months after that three months. So those payments were three months late. What the hell is going on? I'd be mad. The same, right? He's mad. Yeah. 
Yeah. At the same time, Robert Sign had sold rights to versions of Tetris that he did not own. And at the same same time, Bulletproof, which was the, the you know the Hank Rogers company in, in Japan, and Mirrorsoft, which is part of the Maxwell Group, uh, you know, from way back in the beginning, they're all trying to get the handheld rights to Tetris from Stein. Nobody's getting a clear answer. In February of 1988, everyone comes to the same conclusion. Go to Moscow, deal with the Russians directly, figure out what's going on. It is kind of funny that, like, everyone went at basically the same time. Rogers is actually the first person to make his way there from Bulletproof Software. Uh, he meets with Belikov, uh, and when he meets him, he shows him his Japanese version for the Famicom. It's like, hey, here's my this version of Tetris that that we produce. I'm one of the the producers of Tetris. I want to get the handheld rights. Belikov is very confused because as far as he is concerned, the only rights that have been granted to anybody are for computer versions, for computers. So, you know, little tense meeting at first because he's, you know, as far as Elorg and Belikov are concerned, he's like illegally selling this product. Um, but Rogers invited to come back the next day and make his case. And when he did, he met with both uh, Belikov and Pajitnov, the original creator, which I think one thing that is amazing in this whole like insane bureaucracy, the original creator did get a seat at the table to kind of figure out who was going to get the rights to this thing, which I think is really neat uh, in in this whole thing. Okay. Uh, but let me let me uh, let me do my job here. Um, sure. I find it kind of funny that uh, it's like putting the toothpaste back in the toothpaste uh, back in the tube. Yeah. Once it's out, like this game's out. It's People already out, right? It. They've they've done these things with it, and you kind of go like, okay, well, as a concept, it's a game. It's an intellectual property. But if you if you slightly change things, then it becomes kind of your own thing, right? Like, I mean, and then and then you look at the aspect of, okay, so you're in you're in. Uh, Do you like playing columns or Tetris? Yeah, so you're, but you're in, okay, so you're in Soviet Russia, who's like, boo, capitalism, no capitalism, like all this stuff. And then you want to apply these capitalistic, like, rights of, like, no, 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 that's our property. You must pay us for it. So it's kind of funny that that's, you know, the podium they're standing on. At the end of the day, the person who actually has the legitimate rights from, Russia, it's not so much Russia, it's that they're going to be able to pursue the case back home and say we own the rights to it, right? So just like, you know, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Listen. Oh, God. We'll get there. All right? So Sub Subscript 15, yeah. article 9. <laughs> Paragraph D. Article. I didn't use article. Um, <laughs> so Rogers comes back. He meets with both of them. Rather than just having a pitch of being like, hey, listen, we're partnered with Nintendo. That should be good enough. You got to realize he needs to give like a crash course in the whole like video game console industry as a, as a separate thing from from PC games. So he gives a crash course in like consoles, Nintendo, Nintendo's place in the console industry, you know, kind of makes point that through Nintendo He's basically got access to seventy percent of the 
video game industry uh, in 1988. Um, and then, uh, you know, in that meeting, too, they show the, him, they show Rogers the original agreement that they had with Stein, and he kind of points out, oh, yeah, this this line about various computer devices, that's a problem because that's, you know, that's kind of up to interpretation. Sure. So another thing that happened in this meeting is he and Pajitnov, Rogers and Pajitnov, the original creator, they hit it off famously. As a matter of fact, after this meeting was over, they ended up painting the town red in Moscow. They went around, they drank vodka. They got along super duper well, just like two software developers, kind of kindred spirits. Uh, it's a nice that's, part of this story. That's adorable. Right? These two guys, they found each other. That That is, you know, super awesome. Bellicott, I wonder if they started yeah. a podcast eventually. <laughs> well, you know, we'll get to what they started. Uh, Belikov, you know, the guy who was in charge of these negotiations, he also liked the cut of Roger's jib because he had made, like, really firm, sensible offers. Rather than this, you know, royalties business, he had made him very firm, like, we're going to give you X amount of dollars per cartridge we sell, stuff that... You know, the other guy hadn't said it all. So he, he he liked the cut of his jib quite a bit. So after having this meeting with uh, with Rogers, Belikov met with Stein, the original guy who'd made the deal next. And he throws the contract, the original contract, back at him and basically says, we haven't been paid. This is, you know, this thing is, is, you know, it. it listen... You you can have this all you want, but we haven't been paid. And if you want any more rights, if you want the the, the rights to arcade and handheld like we're coming with, listen, we're making changes to this original contract. So he hands him a new contract that's called all these um, penalties for late payments, really stiff financial penalties for late payments. And it's backdated to the original date that they had signed their original agreement with LORG. And he says, until you sign this new agreement, we're not talking about anything else. So go. Like, go and read it, figure it out, but until you come back and sign that, that's it. Next, Belikov met with Kevin Maxwell from the Maxwell Corporation. Cassette now, tape guy. Not the cassette tape guy. Right. But what I meant. there might be a reason that the Maxwell name is a little bit familiar to you. Coffee. No. Uh, maybe not, uh, but I, I, I don't think so. As, as far as I know, it's not the the coffee folks. Um, hey, Bob. The Maxwell Corporation been f- was formed by a guy named Roger Maxwell. Okay. Um, he um, he was a World War II kind of decorated hero. He had been an MP, very successful business person. Jack Reacher. Uh, he wound up, you know, just not to cut his life into just the the highlights there, but right at the end there, he um, he wound up dead, naked, floating outside of his yacht. They'd figured he'd had a heart attack. Um, oh wait, wait, wait! This is Ghislaine Maxwell's dad. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that story yeah! before. <laughs> Oh, yeah. was, that's what I was getting at is as I was researching this, I was like, wait a minute. Why is this name familiar? <laughs> yes. So that's that family. Oh, no shit. 
Yeah. Yeah, he definitely didn't kill himself. Just like Epstein. <laughs> I I have no opinions on any of that. I just thought that was the most bananas connection. Yeah. I mean, that's a weird story that that is not something that you and I should talk about because we're not uh we're no, not, we're don't not know all the facts to things and but at the end of the day, but the yacht was the yacht was the name the Lady Gislaine. So I was, that's I was like, that's wait a what minute, put it together for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that is that's that's a neat tie-in, and uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna put a bow on that. That that whole whole thing is just very shady, and just you know, you look at it and you go like, God, come on, man, that dude knew some secrets. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know everything. I don't want to know everything. That's not a story I like to hear about, but. But um, Belikov, so the, the Maxwell Corporation, they had sent their secret weapon, which was Kevin Maxwell, the son of Roger Maxwell, which would be the brother of Ghislaine Maxwell. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, now, when he, by this time, Belikov is like angry with everybody, probably except Hank Rogers. Uh, in the situation, because he thinks that Stein has abused his deal, that he never had any of these rights to begin with. Uh, and this Kevin Maxwell guy who's showing up, they have deep ties to the Russian oligarchy. So he has, like, ties right to the Kremlin. Okay. So he's he's showing up and kind of maybe pushing that point about all these ties that he has for Russia. There was an incident... now. Kevin Maxwell's group was the group that originally sold the the Famicom rights to or the console rights in Japan to Bulletproof. The Famicom was like the Nintendo console the Nintendo, in yeah, Japan. In Japan, yeah, they just called the Famicom, um, which kind of started this snowball of this kind of thing getting back to Elorg and saying nobody owns any of the console rights. So they were the people who originally done this. There was this kind of like weird incident where Belikov handed him this copy of Tet- Famicom t- copy of Tetris that he had gotten from Hank Rogers and and he was like hey what's this and Kevin Maxwell had apparently said um oh I don't know it must be pirated and Belikov reacted very badly to that because like you sold the rights to these people to do that you have no idea what's going on so that came off very, very badly uh, to the Russians, um, but he couldn't blow them off entirely. So, you know, it is funny. Everyone kind of leaves thinking that they had got what they wanted. Um, Kevin Maxwell winds up leaving with the right of refusal for a for a handheld version or a console version. Sorry, not a, con- a handheld version, console version. Stein came back, or sorry, comes back. There's uh, so many we, players in this. Like I'm trying oh, I to know. keep track. It's fucking, it's fucking crazy, right? Stein, who had made the original agreement, the agreement that everyone else's agreement is technically hinging on. It, you know, at this point, he comes back and he says, "All right, I've agreed to this new deal with the you know, the monetary penalties for late payments." And uh, he left thinking that he had gotten, you know, he had gotten the arcade rights and he had secured his PC rights. Um. But what he hadn't realized is that Belikov, the the Russian negotiator there, he had sneakily snuck in a definition of what a computer actually is into the new contract. And he had defined it as a device with 
you know, a keyboard and a hard drive and a monitor and an operating system. These th things that a video game console obviously were not. So because the console was or the contract was backdated, it actually voided all of the console rights that Robert Stein thought he had. So at this point, nobody owns the console rights or the handheld rights. Somebody does own the arcade rights. Somebody does own the PC rights. But a lot so, of people so sneaky. think... I know, but a lot of people think that they own rights to a lot of things. Um, when it came right down to it from the Russian side, Pajitnov clearly favored Hank Rogers, um, and his pitch had been the most honest and no-nonsense. Um, and it was nice that Pajitnov, again, like I said, that Pajitnov was involved in all of this. So... Rogers, he was able to make a deal for the handheld rights to Tetris. And then Belikov suggested, hey, uh, maybe make an offer on the console rights because, you know, nobody's nobody owns those. Now, Hank Rogers knew that um, Nintendo would be very interested in the home console rights uh, to that, particularly in the U.S. So he... Flew back to Japan. Immediately, he gets into contact with Nintendo America president uh, Hikiro Akawa. I think it's Hikiro. I can't remember. Um, who passed that along to Howard Lincoln. Now, if you remember, Howard Lincoln was the awesome lawyer who stared down Universal and, and you know, said, you guys don't own the rights to, to King Kong. Um, he was now senior vice president at Nintendo he saw this as an opportunity to hurt Atari Games, who thought they owned the console rights to this in North America and were just planning on putting this out on their 10-gen label, who, if you recall, had sued Nintendo for hundreds of millions of dollars. So in the middle of the kind of firestorm of, of lawsuits, this kind of became a focal point inside the focal point. But they still had to get all this done in secret. Episode 7, it's all coming together. Listen, these numbers, the chapters, the episodes, whatever they are, could you have at least had them line up slightly so I have an idea of where we're going? Like we did F and now we're doing 7? Yeah. What the fuck, man? The problem is, you know, the, like, honestly, the problem monster. is, is that in an audio format, there's only numbers or letters. Come up with synonyms all you want. I can't do Roman numerals. I can't do that little III thing, you know? Yeah, but you did seven and F, which is like A, B, C, D, E. I don't know. It's close enough. Is, that is fucking frustrating. So <clears throat> I guess they're different, but I'm sure you've had six in there as well, which I don't know. Yeah, when F I is, listen back F to is this, the sixth be, letter. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I so like how, how you also counted on your hand. Oh, yeah, I sure did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Howard Lincoln and Arakawa end up going to Moscow in secret to secure the rights. Maxwell Corp., who had been given, you know, first right of refusal, they got a 24-hour notice saying that the asking price has been $5 million. Nintendo laid down 5 mil on the spot and said, 
and basically said, we'll outbid anybody. Like, we're, we're getting these rights. This is going to sure. be huge. Um, funny how the first offer was, what, like $10,000? Yeah, now you're up to five mil. I wonder what <laughs> now the duty sold Wordle got. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, well, and this is 1989 money. Or oh, yeah, that was money. huge. Yeah. So uh, eventually, Maxwell Corporation got back and said, uh, we thought we already owned that. Well, that was enough for Belikov, and Elorg signed its deal with Nintendo. And so then they uh, send immediately turn around and they send a fax to both um, Robert Stein and to the Maxwell Corporation saying, hey, handheld rights and the console rights have been sold to Nintendo. So, you know, just so as you know, those are off the market. Wow. Uh, ciao. The um, Stein, he just kind of like, he wasn't happy, for sure. He thought he had been bamboozled. He thought he had been undercut. He thought he had uh, he was been cheated. He was bamboozler. But, you know, yeah, again, I, eh, you know, he played the game, and they, they outplayed him, frankly. Um, the Maxwell Corporation, though, Kevin Maxwell, he did not take that well at all. He went right to Daddy, and Daddy went Aww. to the... Uh, yeah. Daddy went to the Russian government, which investigated Belikov, but Belikov stood his ground and said, nope, this was the best deal that we were going to get, which is pretty easy to, you know, prove yeah. when he went from 10,000 to 5 million, right? Sure. Um, the, uh, Robert Maxwell eventually went to Gorbachev in 89 when the Soviet Union was falling apart, uh, and asked Gorbachev to intervene. And Gorbachev was like, buddy, I got way more important things <laughs> Dude, to Dude, look with. around you. There's walls right. falling down. And <laughs> so Gorbachev told him things that going on. Gorbachev told him to no longer worry about the Japanese company. Basically, like, I'm not doing fuck all about this, buddy. Uh, but that still leaves one player on the field, uh, Atari. They did not go down without a pretty lengthy legal battle. Uh, Howard Lincoln delighted in sending Atari seats and desist. Atari answered back. We were pretty sure we owned those. You know, as you know, we bought those rights uh, a year ago from such and such company. But yeah, that went to court. It got long. It got kind of incorporated into their. It did, well, sorry, it didn't get incorporated into their kind of mega suit against each other. But it was the same judge that saw all of their suits against each other. So uh, that judge really kind of quickly. Um, there was that didn't even go to trial. It was that was wasn't rolled from the bench, but there was a uh, just a preliminary dismissal, um, basically saying yes, Nintendo absolutely owns the right to this. You can't publish this anymore. So Atari, who had spent millions of dollars on um, publishing this thing, had to recall all of that product. Just another one of the kind of casualties in the Atari Nintendo war. Ouch! Now it is. Which sucks. Yeah, I mean, for them. Although, you know, they wound up on the wrong side of a, of a bomb licensing deal, right? Sure. Which, I mean, I don't think anybody set out completely maliciously. It just, it was almost just handled so poorly and just so haphazardly. Yeah. Like the yes. names you threw out and like eventually by the end you're like, okay, and I'm kind of following along, but. Everything is hinging on this one, like, like this one rickety link. 
Yeah. That isn't really a, a meeting of minds anyways. Like, that's not what the Russians were, were meaning to sell. Now, it is worth mentioning, like, although the other parties in this lost, everyone made money on Tetris. Sure. Everybody made tetri- money on Tetris. Everybody, that is, except uh, old Alexei Pachetov. He hadn't made a dime. Unit H for happy ending. Or didn't he? <laughs> All right. Eventually, pa- Pajitnov made it to the U.S. And he wound up forming a company with Hank Rogers of Bulletproof Software. They called it the Tetris Company. And in 1996, through, oh, fuck, who knows, some sort of rights and money and Good God damn it, I don't know. The rights reverted to him. So he oh. actually owns, yeah, he owns the rights to Tetris now, and he gets paid. You yeah, know what? he does. That's right on, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Good, he got Good for what him. he made back. Yes. He's not going to get the, I mean, the billions that were made in the, like, Tetris heyday, but... Fucking good for him. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, Tetris is still popular enough. I mean, there's people playing it all the time when you go on on the Switch. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. Have, they have, like, where now where you play against people and stuff. and it's Oh, the Tetris 100 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Have you played Tetris Effect? No. Tetris Effect is like a, a bunch of techno music with Tetris and oh, kind of awful. awesome visuals. That's no, kind of how I It's really No, no, it's I'm I'm doing a bad job explaining it. It's really really good. Okay. Yeah. It's all like mood based. I'll definitely um, take I, a look at it. So this is the conclusion. There <laughs> I could not have told the story of Tetris if you didn't really know the history of Nintendo and Atari. So I needed to tell those goddamn stories first. Okay. Um I don't know if that was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the trilogy effect. You're always going to be like, oh, well, the other two was like Atari and Nintendo, and then this is a game. People will be like, we demand Commodore. <laughs> Commodore's in there like in places, but it just they were never as, uh, you know, as big of a player. Jack Trammell, who started uh, Commodore, ended up buying the Atari brand and launched like the Atari Jaguar and the Atari. Um, oh, let, let me ask an important question here. Links is Tetris eight yeah, so. bit. Well, the original one, yes, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Was the famous one? Yeah, Tetris. Yeah, eight bit. I guess it would be. Yeah, it's for the Nintendo, so it was eight bit for the Game Boy. Uh, well, a lot of this revolved around the, uh, like the computers at the time were all 8-bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, okay. So I imagine. I'm I'm looking just for flaws. I don't, I'm pretty sure that the Game Boy was 8-bit, but yeah. Uh, (laughs) All right. I love this story though. I love the story because the, the Soviets kind of played the capitalist game a little bit better than some of the capitalists involved. I love that part of it. Yeah, like that uh, to me, that's, I brought that up, how it's kind of ironic that the, the Russians are now like, oh, no, 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 pay me, pay me. <laughs> like, I thought you weren't buying into this whole thing. Well, they still need money, right? Sure. Everybody needs money. Everybody needs money. And as far I mean, they weren't, you know... 
They weren't charging people in Russia to play or in the USSR to play it, charging foreigners. Yeah, true, true. That's okay. Speaking of uh, making money, I got a closing fact. Okay. That has to do with making money. (laughs) (coughs) But uh, I got your closing fact here. I got it right here. It's about a false fruit. We're talking about strawberries. Think of fruit. False one fruit. Of my favorites. Favorite fruits would be a strawberry. Here's the thing, though. The strawberry is technically not a fruit at all. In botanical what? terms, that is. Oh. Fruits are seed-bearing structures which grow from a flower's ovaries. And a strawberry is merely the swollen base of the strawberry flower. The plant's true fruits are small hard, nut-like pips embedded around the outside of the flesh. The seeds are contained in the pips. Strawberries came originally from the Americas. Garden varieties were first bred in the 18th century France from spontaneous hybrids between North American species and a Chilean species. So the, the strawberry itself is not the fruit that you think it is. It's merely a swollen plant that contains fruit on the outside of it. It's kind of weird to think about. That is weird. There's a lot of... Okay. A couple jokes to be made there. Anything that's swollen. Here, let's hope these bear fruit. However, here's where my mind originally went. Uh, I've been drinking a lot more gin and tonics lately. And because I suddenly switched to gin and tonic, we did not have any lime in the house. But because I'm going to be drinking a lot of gin and tonics, I thought I need one. I of like how you used to call them gin and tonics. Gin and tonics. Yeah. Tell us well, more about your, Tell us more about your drinking. Oh, <laughs> brother! You got me some gin and tonics. Ah, the gin and tonic here. Uh huh. Uh huh. I think that's gonna be uh, your new t- drunk alter ego name, Jim Atomic. Jim Atomic? Jim Holy Atomic. shit, that's a great name. That name fucks. That name fucks, man. <laughs> uh, not, All right, Jim. Duke Nukem and Jim Atomic. Jim Atomic. There's Jim Atomic uh, wanted some oh lime for his gin and tonics. Yes. So I was talking to the old lady there and I said, we need to get some false lime. Jim. Just meaning one of them like lime squeezers. That's exactly yes, that's how right. Jim Atomic talks to his uh, old lady when he's drinking. My God, that was such a nothing story, but I'm so glad we got Jim Atomic out of it. Oh, my God. I I can't laugh right now because I'll die. I want to oh. uh, laugh about this. Well, this is Jim Atomic signing out. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Fact Smacks. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you want to hear more, be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash facts schmacks. Or you can check us out on Facebook or on YouTube or on Twitter.com at Fact Schmacked Pod. We also have a website, factschmacks.xyz, because we know you haven't had enough yet. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>